You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. which is old and makes it new. He takes the old life and changes it into the new life. Now we have New Testament. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we become new creations. We're new. We've been restored. The old man has died and the new man has taken his place because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So now we are new, but God restores. God loves to restore those who fall. God loves to restore those who have sinned and fallen short. God loves to restore them to himself. If you're more advanced in years, you're well aware of the fact that old things wear out. The older you get, the less you're able to do, and the more worn out you feel. In today's message, Pastor Dave reminds that God's in the restoration business. He takes old things and makes them new. He's the restorer of souls. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra, chapter 9, as he begins his message, God's Hand of Grace. You are so we pray for the grace of God a lot, and it's by grace we've been saved, and it's also by grace we live. Grace comes at us and we live it. And that's basically what the theme of today's study is, God's Hand of Grace. God's Hand of Grace on us, As we have been reading, the scribe Ezra has finally arrived in Jerusalem after a four-month journey from Babylon. And there was great joy and much satisfaction as he found himself in the rebuilt temple of the Lord God Jehovah worshiping. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? You know, to a scribe like Ezra, a person who studied God's word vehemently and constantly, and and he knew all about it, and and he wanted to worship God in spirit and truth. He wanted to get near to the Lord. He wanted to draw close. And here he is in the holy city of Jerusalem, the the city of David, and he's there, and he's in this glorious rebuilt temple. And and now he's like, wow. It's almost like he's living the dream, you know what I mean? He's like, he he probably can't believe that he's actually there worshiping God. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, it happened to me. It happened to me very similar. I came down here to pastor in February of 2010. And every year they have a pastor's only conference. And it used to be at Marietta Springs in California, where the Bible college was. And my pastor, Pastor Frank from Vineland, called me up sometime in March and said, hey, you're a senior pastor now. You want to go with me to the conference? I said, absolutely, I'll go. So we got all the things arrangements. We flew out to California, and we're in this incredible, beautiful, incredible Bible college in California, and we're standing there. Well, we had a meeting place, and it was around a fountain. It was around a fountain. So he would go his own way, and I would go my own way. And there was a lot of pastors from New Jersey out there. It was a great time. But anyhow, I'm standing the very first day at this fountain waiting for him to come. And I'm just standing there. And I'm just so overwhelmed that I'm there. And I'm just so overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, my knees started to buckle. And I'm like, 
And I got overwhelmed and I almost came to tears. I almost got overwhelmed because I realized that God had given me my heart's desire. God had given me in my heart's desire and had called me and, and made me a pastor. And it just, it almost buckled my knees. This is how Ezra felt. This is how Ezra felt after all those years, you know. We don't know how old Ezra was, but he probably was born in the captivity. We believe that, you know. They were there for 70 years. So we don't know how old Ezra was. We don't know. It doesn't say if Ezra saw the old temple. We don't know. But here he is in the temple the rebuilt temple, and he's worshiping his God. Come on, that had to be special to him. I mean, that has to be incredibly special to him. I mean, it must have felt great for him to be there. So he goes about his ministry, and he starts ministering to the people and attending to their spiritual needs. Now, he was a teacher of the law, remember. He was a teacher of the law, a skilled scribe, it says. Ezra thought he had reached a place of peace and tranquility. He, he thought that, you know, hey, I'm going to just have a great time and I'm going to practice my calling that God has placed upon my heart. I'm going to have an easier life than I did while I was in captivity. That wasn't on God's agenda. God had a different plan for Ezra's life because there had been some things that were going on in Jerusalem by those that had returned, the captives that had returned. Now remember, they have been there for some 60-odd years before Ezra got there. 60-some-odd years had passed. We talked about that when we studied chapter 7 when Ezra appeared on the scene. But he had been called into service by God and had been given the gift of ministry. He had been given a gift of ministry, and he was to serve the Jewish community and then teach them the law of God. Now remember, this is Old Testament. They are under the law the 660-some-odd laws that were given to them through Leviticus. It was the law of God. This was God's plan for the people. But sadly, after four months of him being there, he learned that not everything was going well in the city. Ezra found out that many of the men, perhaps numbering in the hundreds, Religious leaders and civil leaders were guilty of deliberately disobeying the law of God. And this broke his heart. This absolutely broke his heart. This was the very law that he had been called by God to teach. The law that he had studied and studied. And now he had to be obedient to God's command not only to obey God himself, but he now had to bring the people's attention to their iniquity and to their sin and lead them into repentance back to God. This is no small task. This was no small task. Nobody wants to be told that they're a sinner. Nobody wants to be told that they're committing an iniquity. Nobody wants to be told that. And here Ezra is going to have to tell these guys they probably knew already. But you're going to have to tell them, hey guys, do you remember God's word? Do you remember what it said about certain things? But I love the fact about this because there's one word that I got from this introduction I'm trying to give you. And as I was sitting here contemplating on this introduction that I'm trying to give you here as we get into the scriptures, the word I'm thinking about is restoration. God is a God of restoration. 
He takes that which is old and makes it new. He takes the old life and changes it into the new life. Now we have New Testament. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we become new creations. We're new. We've been restored. The old man has died and the new man has taken his place because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So now we are new, but God restores. God loves to restore those who fall. God loves to restore those who have sinned and fallen short. God loves to restore them to himself. Think of the prodigal son, how he went away, took all the inheritance that the father was going to give, and left dad behind and his brother, and went and squandered it all. He went away and squandered it all, and ended up wallowing in a, with the pigs. A nice young Jewish man wallowing with pigs. What an abomination. But he eventually came back to his father. And what did his father do? Scold him? Did his father put his finger out like that and go like this and yell? No. His father ran to meet him. His father ran out, met him, kissed him all over the place, his face, put the ring on his finger, the royal robe, killed the fatted calf, and was so glad that his father had returned, he restored him immediately. And that's what Christ does in our lives. That's what Christ does in our life. We are all going to fall. If you say you haven't fell or won't fail, you just did. We're all going to fall at some time in our life. But God is a God who restores. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And if we confess our sins, Scripture says what? He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive our sins. And then do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're going to have those times in our lives, even in our Christian life, that we fail and we fail. The only person who's surprised when that happens is you. God's not surprised when that happens. He, you don't catch him by surprise, but he's there to restore you if we would come back to God. I mean, when you look at the seven churches in Revelation and all their maladies, every single one of them were told to come back to God. Ephesus lost their first love. They were told to repent and do your first works. Believe and come back. Repent and come back. Repent, the big long word that everybody hates to hear, just simply means turn away. Turn and come back to God. Turn from whatever you're doing and go to God. That's what it means. So God is a God of restoration, and I see that here. Their sin was serious. The sin of these people in that time frame and in that time were serious, and it's probably a little serious today. But it was against God's law, which made it even more serious. It was against God's law. Not following God's law was what led the nation to be in captivity for 70 years. And they had just gotten out of captivity. But not following his law is what led them out of Israel and into captivity. So God had called the Israelites to be holy. The big word, holy. God has called the Israelites to be holy. And we read that at 1144, how he's called them out of company. He's called them out of the country, out of the people, and he brought them to himself. Holy. It just simply means to be separate. Being holy means being separate. God said he would bring them out from a people and he would gather them together, that he would be their God and they would be his people. They were to be holy, which means they were to be separate. They were to be distinct from other nations. They were in a class all their own, and that's simply what holy means. 
We've made it to be something, ooh, you know, something. It means being separate. He wanted the people to separate from the other nations. But when Ezra came to Jerusalem, and after four months of being there, the honeymoon period must have ended because all of a sudden, somebody comes and rats out everybody, and he finds out about the transgressions of all these people. He had found out. What was their transgression? He found out that many of the men had married the daughters of the Canaanites. That's what the problem was. They had married outside of the Jewish faith. They had married Canaanites. Look at verses 1 and 2 in Ezra 9. I did get there. You didn't think I would, but I did get there. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated, there's that word, themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. It says, when things were done, what things? When things were done, what are they talking about? Well, all of the things that Ezra brought with him, all the stuff, remember all the gold, all the silver, all the animals, that ought to be accounted for. That all had to be taken account of and entered into ledgers, and the letter had to been sent to the king telling him that it arrived safely. So when all that was done, when everything had settled, all the dust had settled, Ezra had settled in, all the accounting was done, when that was all done, some of the people come and complain to Ezra that various leaders, as well as priests and Levites, had taken foreign wives for themselves and also were giving their sons and daughters over to marriage. Looking at Josephus' take on this, he said that even some had gone so far, some of the Jewish men had gone so far to divorce their wives and marry foreign women. They were divorcing their wives and marrying foreign women. This was in direct violation of God's law. Exodus 35, 15 and 16, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6. It tells you about this law. Why was this law in place? God had a reason for this law. It was to protect the nation from the influence of other nations. Remember, when Joshua entered the land, what was he told to do? What was Joshua told to do when he came into the land? He was told to take out all the other inhabitants, to get rid of all the other inhabitants, because God knew if he didn't, this would happen. They would intermarry. And then all of a sudden, these people, these Jews would be led astray. They would be led astray to start worshiping idols. And that's exactly what happened, which is one of the reasons why they went into captivity for 70 years. So God, again, God knows what's happening. It's not like God doesn't know. But God had chose them in his love and had set them apart to do his will. He wanted them to be different. It wasn't that the Jews were holier than anybody else. It wasn't that they walked around being holier than anybody else. They weren't. They weren't better than any other nation. Someone once asked me, why did God choose the Jews? I said, because he's God. And he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. 
And so he chose this nation. He chose them. And it was through Israel that our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, came. God wanted the line to be pure. And we had studied this, and we talked about this in Revelation, that Satan continued, tried to mess up the line. He continued, tried to mess up the line so that the line would not be pure, and Jesus couldn't come. But God had a better way and a better plan. Remember, what was the promise of God to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 12 of Genesis? In your seed, all the earth will be blessed. Blessed. Who came from that seed? Jesus Christ. So all the earth was blessed. And when you look at the Jewish nation, when you look at the children of Israel, God's chosen people, look at the gifts that they brought to the world. Look at the gifts in a spiritual way that they brought to the world. First of all, they brought the knowledge of the one true living God. The Jews brought that in. They worshiped Lord God Jehovah, the living God, the I am. I am that I am. Secondly, the written word. They kept this word pristine. They kept it just as it is. They were the ones that continued to copy it down and continue to have it the way it is right now. So we can thank them for that, that we have God's word because of them. And thirdly, most important for us all, through them came Jesus Christ, our Savior. So look at those wonderful gifts that the children of Israel bestowed upon us. There was only one exception to this rule about marrying outside. Can anybody tell me who that was? His name was Boaz. He named, married Ruth. Why was this an exception? What made Ruth different than the other people? She accepted Boaz as God. She started trusting in the Lord God, Jehovah. So that makes her different. That makes her a different reaction. There are also some scriptures that say the soldiers could marry from conquered countries, women that they conquered countries, but they couldn't marry a Canaanite woman. There was something very foul and unforeseen that God did not like about the Canaanites, and they couldn't marry them. You have to read the law and study that. All right, so Ezra finds out about this. He finds out what's happening, and look at his reaction in verse 3. So when I heard this thing, remember Ezra is writing, I tore my garment and my robe, and plucked out some of my hair of my head and my beard, and sat down astonished. Wow. Was Ezra having a temper tantrum? No. This was the way disgust was shown back then. This was the way he tore his clothes, and he ripped out, that must have hurt, ripped out his beard and his hair. It was a sign of complete contempt, complete disgust, and a troubled heart. The word says he was astonished, and really, you could put the word he was appalled. He was appalled, and in Hebrew, it means he was shocked and horrified at what was happening. He couldn't believe that these men were doing this deed against God. He was so astonished. How could they do such a thing after what God had done for them? He was shocked by our sin, and you know what? An aside here. I have to ask the question, are you shocked by sin? Does sin still shock you when you mess up? Are you shocked? Or are you dismayed? Are you saddened? Or do you just shrug it off? Is your character that you portray before others important? 
you have to answer those questions for yourself. I think they are very, very important. We'll talk about this a little later on. Has your salty life lost its flavor, lost its savior? Does your salty life no longer sting? Does it no longer prevent corruption? Have you hidden your light under a bushel? This is what's happening with these men who are marrying outside of the Judy faith. They're taking God's word and they're trampling underfoot. They're trampling upon the law. So Ezra had to remind them about just how privileged they were. He had to remind them just how privileged they were. Now, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to go back and pick it up, all right, to look at it. So let's read 5 through 15. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, having torn my garment and my robe. I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh, my God. I am ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty, and for our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it to this day. And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded your servants by the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their iniquity, Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace of prosperity, that you may be strong, eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with people committing these abominations? Would you be angry with us until you had consumed us, or that we would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Wow. As I was reading, did you pick up on the grace that was being bestowed upon them? Ezra is reminding them of all the grace that had happened to them that continually pours out upon them. You are a sure hope. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor David has been digging into the book of Ezra, and we're learning so much together. The book of Ezra starts out with a powerful reminder of God's mighty power over kings and kingdoms. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. What follows is a command to anyone who wanted to, to go and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And then he commanded his people to help them with silver and gold and goods and beasts and a free will offering. Can you imagine a pagan leader doing all that? Only by the great power of God. And that gives a good deal of hope today for the world we live in. Nothing and no one can keep the word of the Lord from coming to pass. So it doesn't matter who is in power, because God is greater. I'm sure glad you've decided to join us today on A Sure Hope. This is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you'd like to join us on Sunday, we'd love to have you. Head over to assurehoperadio.com for service times and directions. And if you're too far away to join us in person, you can always catch us online on Facebook and YouTube. That's all we have for today, but we'll be back, and we hope you will too, right here on Assure Hope. Set our hope on praise. Sure.